I seek to speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you. It's lovely to share your worship uh, today. I bring greetings from St. Peter's Upper Rickerton, which is my own parish. I also bring greetings from the Trust Board of Peter's Gate, uh, which represents numerous churches around this part of Christchurch that supports a ministry in providing affordable counselling um, to uh, this area. Um, it is a mission that we believe that uh, is really important. And we are ably uh, represented on the board uh, by Andrea Cordwell, um, and she's here with us. I finally bring greetings from the staff and counsellors of Petersgate Counselling Centre, and especially from my colleague and business manager, Gray Crawford. And I'd like to acknowledge one of your parishioners who's one of our counsellors, Don Rowlings. So greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to share just a little bit about Peter's Gate. In April this year, we celebrated a 25th anniversary celebration. Uh, 25 years in Christchurch surviving as a counselling centre, uh, a community counselling centre um, in Christchurch. I think it was a significant thing uh, to celebrate. I have a team of 24 counsellors. Uh, it fluctuates uh, during, the, um, during each year. We take on student counsellors and we have um, uh, counsellors going into their private practice. So there's always a, um, a vacancy uh, or vacancies that we um, need to fill. But uh, we keep the team around about 20 to 25. Um, in the last few years, we've been providing an average of 6,000 and 6,500 counselling sessions per year. Nearly half of those we see are suffering from anxiety and or depression. A quarter of our counselling that we provide is for relationships or family issues, and we probably are able to provide some of the most affordable couples counselling uh, in Christchurch. Nearly 20% of people who come to us for counselling is for their own personal development and growth, um, and another 10% for grief issues. Since coming out of lockdown last year, we have seen such a huge increase in the public demand for counselling. It's really peaked um, quite significantly at the moment. In the last month, our waiting list reached 200. Um, and we've never, in my understanding, I've only worked at uh, Petersgate in this role for um, 18 months, but understanding we've never faced such a high demand in the past. Anxiety in particular amongst our young people is very noticeable. Over half the people I've been counselling in the last few months um, have been in their 20s or younger, many of them university students. And as I reflect on that, I see this generation um, in Christchurch 
um, growing up facing major earthquakes, recently mass shootings at home, and then you know, going back a few years, the extended wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and the mass movements of uh, refugees that were seen in, a, in the news, and what seems to be on the minds of our young people, the environmental crisis of uh, global warming. And of course, in the last uh, year or so, a global pandemic. And I think no wonder many of our young people are anxious or suffering from depression. Typically 10% of those we see are teenagers and a third of those who come are in their 20s. Despite the, the stresses of the work, particularly at the moment um, at Petersgate, I genuinely um, enjoy my role and feel that we are contributing both to uh, the mental health of our region, but also uh, the work of the gospel. Uh, for, as I see it, Jesus took on himself the form of a servant. He went about doing good, healing sick, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and binding up the brokenhearted. And, I, and in particular, I see the work of us counsellors is about binding up the brokenhearted and all that that represents in terms of mental distress. In our readings today, as I have reflected on them, they're both readings that focus on grace. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he's teaching about grace, the power of God that works in and through us to achieve God's will, God's salvation. Grace is the power that, is, that he pours into our hearts that we can achieve things. The story in Mark's gospel is also about grace, the power of God that was at work in Jesus that he used to bring about salvation. There's a story about a sudden storm at sea and the human fear that, uh, that uh, people experience of being overwhelmed and possibly facing drowning. And in it, we glimpse the power of God at work in Jesus. In both Paul's letter and Mark's story, there is the reassurance that God is ultimately in control, for he hears us when we cry out in need. Paul reminds us, and in the church of his time, the church in Corinth, he says, God says, I listened to you, and when you needed help, I came to save you. In these readings, there are two different types of literature, but they're both speaking about God's grace. One from the real life interaction of Paul during the birthing of the early church, and the other story about Jesus written between 35 and 40 years after his earthly life. But at the heart of that story, it's about Jesus and his disciples, whether then but also now, 
as we face the furies of the storms of life. The story that we hear is, uh, occurs uh, in the context of Jesus's teaching ministry. At the beginning of chapter four, Jesus is on the lake shore and he's teaching and he takes a boat out from the shore in order that others can hear him. If uh, you followed the, um, the readings that we have uh, last week, uh, the gospel was about Jesus teaching about the word of God and he used the parable uh, that the word of God was uh, a seed or seeds. In the story, we're told that evening comes, and, and that suggests to, um, to us uh, about the darkness and the symbolism that darkness entails, evening comes. And this, the gospel story, as many of the stories of the gospel, are full of symbolism that speaks to us at a deeper level. For the sea, for instance, for the ancients, symbolized the powers of chaos and evil. And in the story, that sudden sense of crisis is heightened with wind and the storm and the waves that start to swamp the boat. But it's more than just a physical storm. It's further magnified by a con. A con corresponding internal emotional storm, a storm of fear and panic and a sense of loss of hope. This is typical in life, whether it's caused by an earthquake illness, facing accidents or death. When we feel a loss of control in life, that outer storm is reflected again by an internal storm within people. But where is Jesus in the story? We're told he remains asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. That's the place where the person who's in charge of the boat should be there in control with his hands on the tiller. Jesus is asleep. And the disciples can't bear it any longer and they shout, at Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're challenging Jesus. Why aren't you in control? Don't you see? Don't you care for us? Is a sleeping Jesus symbolic of how many of us experience God in times of our crisis? But Jesus awakes. We're told he rebukes. He rebukes the wind. And he calms the sea with the words, peace, be still. Peace, shalom. What a word that's full of meaning, particularly in the Hebrew or Aramaic languages. It's a greeting that captures the sense of blessing that all that is in shalom, encompassing the goodness and the joy and the fruitfulness and fullness and the social harmony and connection, um, perhaps it captures what we have an idea of what paradise or heaven would be like. But Jesus uses it as a command. 
He says, peace. And that word turns the forces of chaos into calmness and order. He also has a further command, be still. And we're told that the wind ceases and there is a dead calm. Then Jesus turns to his followers and asks, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And to me, it seems so unfair. The disciples, they were only human. We are only human. Isn't fear just a normal reaction to danger? We can't all be so completely trusting in God when things are out of control, can we? But if we go back to that command of Jesus, be still. I'm reminded of those words of Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted on the earth. Maybe at a deeper level, the story is reminding us of that truth. It's a story of revelation that Jesus, as we get to know him through the ups and downs of our lives, our messy world, we realize that he is God who will come to us, who does come to us with power to bring order out of chaos and peace where there is distress and healing when we are wounded. Paul, who came to faith a few years after Jesus' crucifixion, tells others that through Christ he has found joy in sorrow, hidden riches within poverty, and a confidence amidst the injustices and difficulties of his own life of faith. It is Paul who writes in another letter to the Ephesians, by grace you have been saved. And we are reminded it is not by doing anything or believing anything. It's not by our good works, but it's by God's grace and power by which we are saved. And, the, and that means we belong to God. God is in us, part of us. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ, with Christ. Christ's presence, our healing, our help and salvation is always taking place in the messy parts of our life. Even during the storms, grace is the truth that we have never been or ever will be abandoned by God in the moments of sin, of crisis, during arguments, earthquakes, Wars, storms, or shootings. Let me finish with a blessing which we all know, which I believe captures the command that Jesus in this story says Peace, be still. He says that to the world, 
to all that's evil in the world and to our uncertain hearts. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you forever. Shalom, my friends.